Legal. Let's go. Get that money. Get that money. Welcome back to another episode of the Double Up Podcast with Gene, a.k.a. The Real Estate Guy, and B-Rob, a.k.a. The Infamous CPA. This is the podcast about finance, real estate, investing, and personal and professional development. Now it's time to double up. Double up. Get ready for episode 14 with speaker, author, financial coach, and co-founder of Extended Hand, Rakim Sabri. Welcome back to another episode of the Double Up Podcast. It's Gene a.k.a. The Real Estate Guy. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at underscore, underscore, Mr. Marshall. Yo, what's good, family? It's B-Rob, a.k.a. The Infamous CPA. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Double Up Podcast. We had episode 14. Man, it's been a it's been a journey. We've been putting out episodes left and right now. Really, really starting to really catch our flow, catch our momentum. So, man, super excited to bring you another show. We got a super special guest that we're going to get into you know, a little bit later, but first, you know how we always started off, you know, make sure you leave a review, uh, subscribe, and leave any feedback you guys have for us. And if you have any topics you want us to talk on, uh, definitely shoot us a DM or, you know, leave us a comment so we can touch on the things that you guys want to hear about. But bro, what's up, man? How you double up last week? How did I double up last week? Ah, man. So uh, we in a new year yep. and I'm back in my reading, man. I'm back in knowledge mode. I'm back in knowledge mode. Okay. So I'm reading a new book called Principles. By Ray Yeah. Ray Dalio. I think it's Dalio. I heard great things about that I'm reading Principles, man. And it really got my mind thinking and it has me really transforming on how I maneuver through this place called life. Mm-hmm. And we have to sit back and ask ourselves, you know, what principles do we live by? What principles do we stand by? Yep. And those principles create that value system over our life. Mm. And it's it's a real good book. I don't want to spill the, the, the details of it. So I want to encourage all of my listeners to pick that book up if you're serious about uh, creating a sense of value, a sense of purpose out of your life, um, and you want other people to recognize that value and at least feel that energy, I would highly recommend that book. But how did I double up this week? So um, I don't think I've shared this on the podcast, or maybe I have. But I offer concealed carry training to um, individuals that uh, residents of the state of Illinois. And so what I've decided to do is not only offer concealed carry training, but also self-defense training. So anybody that's interested in uh, kickboxing, jujitsu, feel free to reach out. Or if you're interested in getting your concealed carry license, uh, just feel feel free to reach out to the Double Up Podcast on IG or um, underscore, underscore Mr. Marshall. And on top of that, I'm going to give you guys an opportunity to get money with me, okay? So I have a marketing affiliate program where anybody that sends me business, I am going to give you 30% of what I charge. So prices and information can be found. Um, hit the DM or just reach out to me. Uh, but I charge $100 for the concealed carry class. If you try to go to the gun range, they're going to hit you for $200, 250 yeah, uh, So 30% of $100 is $30 per referral. But so how did I double up? So I had a class, uh, two classes in the last two weeks. 
So I had uh, 10 students in each class. I got 10 students that are now licensed to legally carry a firearm. They're just waiting. Well, 20 students now licensed to carry a firearm so now they can protect themselves. And uh, many of my students are actively involved in real estate. And I always encourage people that are buying properties in um, low income areas or buying distressed properties that it's always best to put yourself in a position where you can protect yourself. 100%. And I think having a concealed carry license and taking advantage of that, of that right, and that that will is a huge, huge, huge responsibility, but a huge um, uptick. So, yeah, that's how I double up. How'd you double up this week, bro? Man, first I want to touch on and kind of commend you for, you know, the work you're doing around concealed carry because it really brings me back to um, kind of a female empowerment piece where, you know, obviously uh, we have the Me Too movement that has went on, you know, the past couple of years mm-hmm. and a lot of young women, they need that protection. They need to be able to, you know, handle themselves because we got to be honest with ourselves. It's a lot of men out here that can't handle themselves um, yep. and they do the wrong things, you know, raping things of that sort. And it's kind of ridiculous and it kind of sucks, but it's kind of the world we live in. So all we can do is protect ourselves on that front. So I'm a big advocate, you know, for women taking or getting their concealed carry license as well as uh, def- learning how to properly, you know, defend themselves as well. So definitely want to commend you for that. So ladies, uh, if you're listening, definitely check in with bro and, you know, get your concealed carry because you never know what can happen, especially in America. You know, America is uh. crazy, bro. Like for real. But how did I double up? So I've been really focused on my health. Um, I've been doing a lot of grinding these last couple of months and I've been sacrificing my sleep. And I've been just seeing that, you know, over time, I'm just, I become more and more less effective because of that lack of sleep. So I finally found my sweet spots. I need seven hours of sleep a night. So I just have my alarm set up there. Um, so I try to get between seven to eight hours. So I'm fresh because I found that, you know, I'll crash at work um, if I don't get the adequate amount of sleep. And now it's taking me longer to do my work at work. That means I'm getting home later. That means I have less time to work on my businesses. So now that I'm getting more sleep, I'm getting out the door at 5 o'clock, 5.30. And then I have more than enough time to focus on, you know, the things I do outside of my 9 to 5. Um, and outside of that, really just trying to get back to being more efficient with my time. So That's I've been cool. doing a lot of meal, meal prepping lately. Because I used to eat out a lot, like last year while I was doing my renovations, I was probably spending about five to six hundred dollars a month on food. And now I got my meal costs down to five dollars per meal. I'm meal prepping, so it's saving me time on the back end because I'm not having to walk to lunch uh, to get food. I'm not having to, you know, after work I used to take an hour to get food every day. So that was an hour that I didn't have to work on my businesses. So. It's really tapping into my health and also focusing on time efficiency because, man, time is everything. So really not trying to waste any of it. Um, trying to get to my goals as fast as possible so I can live the way I want to live. Absolutely. Yes, sir. One thing I, w- I want to bring up. So we, we're going to give you guys uh, some more resources, man. We're going to give you guys more resources. So coming soon, by the time you hear this episode, we're going to give you guys a time management Excel tool that you guys can find inside the bio of the Double Up podcast. So if you're struggling with time, if you're struggling with trying to make sure that you prioritize what's important to you, just go to the Double Up Podcast Instagram, click the link in the bio, and you can download a free Excel spreadsheet that's going to allow you to be able to track your time. And that's, that's, that's important, man, because a lot of people say, you know, it's those people on one side of the fence be like, damn, we, we all got the same 24 hours. And then it's 
you put that on Twitter, bro, you get all the hecklers like, mm -hmm. nah, we don't got the same 24 hours. Like, they living in another dimension or some shit, but nah, that's super important. You got to be able to stay on time, like track your time. We spend a lot of time on social media. We spend a lot of time watching television and really just being entertained in general. And we got to sit back and ask ourselves, it's like, is that how we want to spend our lives? Just being tuned in to, you know, social media, networks, and things of that nature, instead of just living, living for, you know, what we really want to do. Um, so I remember just being in college, just wasting a ton of time, time that I wish I could have back. And it's really just priceless. So end of the day, need to monitor your time, need to use your time effectively. You can just live the way you want to. Beat time or let time beat you. Well, cool, man. That's enough for the recap. You know, super excited. Like we said, we got a super special guest on the show. We got Mr. Rakim Sabri. Um, I hope I'm saying that last name right. If I'm not, damn, correct me. <laughs> but uh, he is a speaker. Uh, most recently gave a TED Talk on financial empowerment. Make sure to check that out. It's going to be in the show notes. Um, he is the author of Mentorship, The Playbook, and Financially Resp Irresponsible. He also is a financial coach and a co-founder of An Extended Hand, a non-profit organization that helps at youth risk struggling with homeless. So welcome to the show, bro. Super excited to have you on. Right, Kim, what's Thank up, brother? Excited. What's going on? What's going on? Talk to us, baby. Talk to us. Yeah, yeah. So we're oh, going to jump right into it, man. So you have a really unique, unique story. Um, so I kind of wanted you to just kind of start from the beginning, like, you know, your early night, early life kind of up to now, like what was the start of your journey? Take us, kind of just take us back and uh, share with our audience the path you took to becoming the man you are today. Sure. So um, I, I, I talk about my parents being teenagers when I was born. So my, my parents were 17, 18 years old. They, uh, they met in Kalamazoo, Michigan and um, decided to start a family in New York. You know, one of the toughest places to start a family. Mm -hmm. And uh, as young parents, I think, you know, there's a lot that they had to learn and growing up. And, and certainly as as they grew, we grew with them, uh, me and my siblings. So um, there's a lot of things that we weren't afforded um, specific to finances. But um, there's a lot of things that we weren't afforded that I think um, other people were um, in terms of just the maturity and insight that, you know, maybe an older parent would have in parenting, you know, they're navigating their own individual maturity um, and, and trying to raise children at the same time. Uh, I have a younger brother who's a uh, year and a half, almost younger than I am, and then a younger sister who is six years younger than I am. So, uh, you know, by the time my parents were my age, they had three kids that they were worried about um, supporting and, and making the best decisions for. Mm -hmm. um, so, I talk about my my beginnings often when I talk about, you know, the position that I'm in now, specifically around my passion for financial education, because I don't want to say that it was a hard upbringing uh, because we didn't realize um, the other side of it. Right. You, you grow up in poverty. That's all you know. So I didn't realize that I was poor until I got out of that environment. But, um, you know, we had Section 8, we had food stamps. We, uh, and when my parents separated, it became even more apparent. I think I was probably uh, early teen or mid-teens when that happened. So I had to kind of take a bigger role in the household where I was supporting um, or helping to support my mom and, and, you know, really just whatever the daily operations were, whether it was cooking, cleaning, um, going out, paying bills, and just understanding the logistics of um, what it means to really be an adult. Mm -hmm. And uh, my mom decided that she wanted something different. 
So she uh, gave me and my siblings a choice to stay with our father in New York or to um, venture cross country to uh, San Antonio, Texas. My siblings decided to stay. I decided to go. And uh, I was in Texas for eight months before I came back up north to Connecticut, where uh, I started working in financial services, banking in particular, as a part-time teller. So, you know, I'm, I'm entering the world of finance professionally at 21 years old and uh, don't know anything about finance other than, you know, what's always been impressed upon us, which is, you know, to save and start to be introduced to terms, products, and strategies really around how different people manage their own personal finances. Um, I encountered the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad early on in my uh, banking career. And that I tell everybody changed my life and, and really kind of the trajectory of the way that I think about money and the way that I think about making money. And then from there, I just became really obsessed and mission driven to learn as much as I could about personal finance to improve my position at work, but also to improve my position as an individual mm-hmm. um, and managing my own finances. So I, uh, I got my first credit card and I started learning how to manage credit. I had always been told to save, but then I started to um, look at the 401k and, and, and planning for retirement, um, looking at investments and um, investing in the stock market. And I encountered different people all across the spectrum. So, you know, people who were poor, who were living paycheck to paycheck, who were, you know, coming in every week begging for a refund and overdraft fees. And then people who have money, like, you know, they came in and, and they don't feel like they have to pay any fees because of the amount of money they kept in the bank. And so when you see that kind of spectrum and the behaviors associated with, you know, the money that they had and, and really the confidence that they had because of the money they had. Some of it by osmosis, just, you know, you kind of learn, it it rubs off. And certainly in a sales role, um, which I had climbed the ladder within the branches um, and and doing a variety of different things, you have to build a rapport with people. And so in building that rapport, you start to ask questions, you start to understand, you know, why are you doing this this way? Or tell me a little bit about your business or what are your goals? And as people share um, their strategies and what it is that they have going on, I'm making mental notes in the back of my mind, like, yeah, I like to do that. Or, you know, that's something that I aspire to do. Or, you know, let me take notes on, oh, you know, what is a trust and why are we using a trust for this? Or, you know, why are you investing in, in uh, a money market versus a Roth or, you know, different things like that. And so as those things became a part of my vocabulary, I decided that not only was it important for me to uh, execute on those disciplines, and learn more about them, but to share with other people who didn't have access to that same knowledge. And so when I talk about my journey um, and my position really um, in, in personal finance, it starts off definitely very selfishly in that when I realized that I was poor, I realized that I never wanted to be poor again. But then it, it started to become selfless in that I realized there were so many people who um, aren't or won't be afforded the same opportunities that I was to work in that field and, and to get that education kind of on the job. And so I feel somewhat obligated to share what it is that I've learned um, through the lens of my experiences, but also, you know, giving people a choice to kind of make decisions on their own as far as the direction that they want to go. And so I'm very careful when I talk about personal finance and I give advice or, you know, make suggestions, not to tell people that, you know, my way is the right way. I think a lot of times people um, within this world of, of personal finance, um, they get kind of caught up within their approach and they, you know, they're very gung ho about, well, I did it this way and this is the way that you need to do it. Instead of saying, well, this is a way mm-hmm. and there are many ways and encouraging other people to, to go out and explore and learn about those ways. Um, I'm, I'm very, um, I'm very careful to just speak to the mindset instead of a specific strategy and saying that, you know what, this worked for me, but what worked for me five years ago may not work for me five years from now. And so, 
understanding the foundation fundamentals of, um, you know, what are the building blocks of personal finance, right? Understanding how to budget, how to save, understanding how to build credit, how to leverage credit responsibly, difference between good debt, bad debt, um, assets over liabilities, and, um, you know, just that long-term planning. I think when you understand all those things, you can kind of create your own recipe for what success looks like, um, whether that be, you know, short-term success or long-term success. You said you said a couple of things that really a lot to unpack that um, really touched me. And the first thing that I want to touch on that you said was, you know, as you were gaining this knowledge, you wanted to spread that knowledge to other people that didn't have it. And I think that's a very important, very important mentality and concept to embody. And that's in direct alignment to why uh, me and Brian started this podcast. And one of my mentors told me, and I think you can relate to this. He said, if you want to get rich, if you want to be rich, help other people get rich in the process. And I think that you are definitely embodying that perspective. And I also want to comment on um, the rich dad, poor dad, because that book also changed my life and it cultivates a mindset shift. Because, you know, we are ignorant to the things that we don't know, you know, but once we become aware of these issues, then it's our own personal fault if we don't do anything about it. But now that we're aware, how do we do, you know, how do we take advantage of of the resources that are out there, you know, and that's what's happening to people like you who who have the knowledge and have the resources. People like us, right? I think we're we're all on that path and Certainly share that passion. I'm right. you, don't, don't spoil yeah. it. Don't <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> no, it definitely is a, a lot to unpack there, man. I think it's it's super dope that you got that experience to work in the bank. Um, because I it kind of brings me back and makes me think about you no know, Todd Millionaires, his journey. Uh, he used to work in the bank. I think he used to do private banking, and he learned you know a ton. Um, just meeting different individuals, um, learning kind of what they do, and it kind of helped change his mindset as well when he changes when he shares his story. Um, so I think it's dope, and I think what's really dope is the fact that just in general you can learn so much just from observing. You can look at the way people move, uh, those that are successful, and kind of and kind of implement some of the things that they do, and also be successful. It's this book. It's called like "Steal Like an Artist" or something like that. Um, and that's essentially all it is. You know, you're paying attention to how individuals move. You're seeing, you know, what habits that they do day in and day out that make them successful, and you're implementing those into your own life. And it just helps you, you know, it helps you along your journey. Uh, And I think that's something that a lot of people should do is kind of just pay attention, Um, pay very close attention, learn from people's mistakes, learn from their successes. And at the end of the day, every individual that you come in contact with, if you really try, like you can learn something from them, whether that's something that you learn not to do or is this something that you learn to do? Um, And the fact that you were able to do that, at such a young age, just by paying attention, where a lot of people would be, you know, just going to work, just going through the motions of it, not really thinking long term with it. Um, I think that's super dope and something that a lot of people should implement. Yeah, I like um, how you guys started off the show talking about self-defense. And, and I'm, I'm going to draw a parallel uh, because I, I practice Wing Chun, uh, Kung Fu, and, and, and <laughs> I like, yeah, <laughs> I like, um, <laughs> don't play with him, don't play with him. <laughs> Um, but I, I really like Bruce Lee and, and his philosophy, too, around, you know, the creation of his his martial art form, uh, Jeet Kune Do. 
where he talks about, you know, taking what is useful and, and disregarding, you know, everything else, right? And, you know, that's a philosophy not specific to martial arts or, or, or should not be boxed in specifically to martial arts in that um, it, it really just kind of embodies everything that you just said. Um, and, and, and what I said previously as well, that, you know, what works for me may not work for the next person, but it works for me. And so, um, you know, as long as you understand foundations and you understand um, you know, the fluidity and the best practices. I mean, I think Wing Chun is the perfect martial art for me in, in, in the way that I think about the world and interacting with the world because um, the whole the whole foundation of Wing Chun is to use the least amount of energy to do the most amount of damage. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you know, you, you look at other martial arts where, you, you know, you're, you're exerting so much energy and so much stress and so much, you know, strain is you know the Wing Chun is the, first, is the only um, Kung Fu form that was created by a woman. And so, and um, being developed by a woman, you know, she's competing against men and um, it's perfect for, for females. It's perfect for older people because again, you're using the least amount of energy to do the most amount of damage. So you don't have to be this, you know, jacked, uh, you know, high intensity cardio um, practicing individual. You could be, you know, uh, you know, very, you know, meek and kind of, I don't want to say decrepit, but you know, you get the idea old person and still be very effective in the art. And I think, you know, taking that out of a martial arts context and putting it into really any context, but specific to finance, just understanding, you know, best practices are best practices, but they're not, um, they're not the rule. And so, you know, you, you do what works for you. One more thing that I, I want to hit on that, that you said, um, I mean, you, you, you dropped a lot of, a lot of gems um, in your opening. And one was there are many different pathways to success. And I think that oftentimes, so many people get caught up in, oh, if I want to be wealthy, I have to do real estate. Or, oh, if I want to be wealthy, um, I have to uh, I have to quit my job tomorrow. You know, and there's multiple different paths to being wealthy outside of just real estate. You got people that are that have e-commerce businesses. You got people who have uh, just you, you got information security firms, consulting firms. People are out here consulting on how to properly do nails and open up a beauty salon. Like there are so many different facets of opportunities that we can tap into. And I wanted to kind of re-highlight what you said. And I think that's very impactful for those that are listening that are still trying to find their way. You know, you're still trying to find out, you know, what is that thing that I want to leverage or what is that thing that I want to tap into? And as long as you're searching, you'll find. As long as you're searching, you'll find. And as long as you'll knock, the door will open. It might not open when you want it to, but it will. So I kind of wanted to highlight highlight that. Oh, for sure. Um, it's funny that you bring that up because I was talking to a young lady actually just today in Twitter DM. She was, you know, telling me how she didn't feel like she had any skills that she can monetize when we were talking about, you know, oh, you need to increase your income. Um, I'm like, I'm sure if you dig deep, you probably do have something. But if not, like, it's so many different avenues that you can tap into. You kind of just got to find a path and kind of just go for it. I told her just identify, you know, two to three things that you think, you know, you would like to do that would be beneficial to other individuals that you can monetize and just choose one, go crazy with it. And then go on, move on to the next. Um, but yeah, in personal finance specifically, um, I always tell my clients that this is how I did it. But at the end of the day, try this out, but find what works best for you. It may be a hybrid of, you know, some of my strategies and things that you learn on your own. But at the end of the day, 
it's called personal finance for a reason, emphasis on personal. So, you know, you can, you can have all the best mentors. You can see, you know, how they handle their money. At the end of the day, you need to choose exactly what works best for you. And it's really just a trial and everything. Because um, at first I know I used to use the cash envelope method. And then I really found like it's not, it, it wasn't really working for me in terms of taking out cash all the time. So I'm like, okay, I'm just going to be smart and I'm going to get separate bank accounts for each different spin category. And now that just makes things so much easier because I can just direct deposit the money into my account rather than going to the ATM every two weeks when I get paid. Uh, so you really just got to find what works for you. But it really just comes up trial and error. Um, as long as you're taking action, you're going to figure it out. That's so that's, that's really the key point. Like, you just got to take action and try shit. Like, yep. man, you can fail at it, but you're going to learn something. You're going to learn what you like. You're going to learn what you don't like. It's kind of like um, why a lot of people say go to college, because that's when you really figure out and find who you are, what you like to do, and what you don't like to do. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of like taking that let's go to college approach and figure shit out. Um, personal finance is kind of the same way and it's really like that with any other discipline as well you just got to get out there take action make those mistakes so that you can learn from them and keep going it's like failing fast that's really all it is you got to fail fast it's, 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 so it's not failure it's just feedback Facts. that's all it is right it's just feedback it's preparation on what you need to do for next time in order to get it right right we, we look at a lot of business owners like let's say Grant Cardone or or uh, Jay Morrison, or like, give me a couple. What personal finance? Just period. Just period. I mean, shit. You just took the ones right. <laughs> <laughs> I think of the Gary V's. I think of the Gary yeah, V's. Gary V. Robert Kiyosaki. Yeah, Robert Kiyosaki. You think of all of their stories, and they they share a ton of things that we might look at as oh they failed at this or you know, but really it's just a part of their journey, and Absolutely. it's a part of how they became who they are today. Like Eric Thomas used to talk a lot about, you know, how he used to have all these different speaking engagements and his mentors and whomever would give him terrible feedback. Um, and now he does the same thing to his mentees and he lets them know, like, you're not going to be here at the at the start. You're not. So just start now. Keep going and going and going. And you're going to at the end of the day, you're going to get to where you need to be. Yep. But it's, you got to start. You got to put one foot in front of the other and just go. You got to go. You got to press play, baby. You got to press play. So many people that get started in this entrepreneurial game or industry, you know, they fail, right? I mean, statistically, is not every – out of every 10 businesses, nine of them fail, yep. right? So, hell, so get your first nine started and get to the 10th one so you can win on your 10th try, right? So – it's not about, uh, and, I, and I've come to realize this on my own, it's not about the process, it's about your progress. Mm. And once we start to really dissect and understand what that means, I think that we'll have a better um, understanding and lack thereof of being um, less disappointed when things don't go right, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but my brother, I got a couple questions for you. So as you begin to, you know, maneuver through your financial journey, what is what were some of the things that was going through your mind as it relates to uh, you know, switching up your, your budgeting habits, you know, as it relates to, you know, wanting to start a business or uh, start your nonprofit. What what were some of the triggers for you? It was like, yo, I gotta do something bigger. I gotta do something better. Uh, <clears throat> at the root of it, uh it's mindset, right? And I and I spend a lot of time focusing on mindset. Um 
in, in every avenue that I really get the opportunity to kind of share my thoughts. But um, I've been fortunate to have, you know, parents and grandparents who've instilled in me um, this limitless belief system in that I've never not thought that something I wanted to do, I was able to do. Um, and I tell stories often about, you know, going to my mom and, and I would randomly walk into her room and be like, Ma, I want to be an actor. And she would say, okay. Like, Ma, I want to be a singer. Oh, okay. Ma, I want to be a musician. Okay, my mom never told me I couldn't do anything. She never told me that, um, you know, you're dreaming too big. And, and, you know, my grandfather, my father, they always told me I was a genius. They always told me, you know, anything that you want to do, you can do. And I think um, people say that and, and people receive that. They hear that, but they don't believe that. And so for me growing up, that was uh, that was reinforced. I wasn't even allowed around people who would tell me that something that I wanted to do, I was not capable of. And so I carry that with me, you know, growing up. And I, I certainly I carry that with me to this day. And, um, you know, like you said earlier, maybe I didn't know what I wanted to do. I always knew that I wanted to start a business, but I didn't know what the business model would be. I always knew that I wanted to write a book, but I didn't know what I was going to write about. Mm-hmm. And as I started to advance in knowledge, you know, this this journey is is going on almost 10 years, right? I started at 21 when I moved up here in, in Connecticut uh, almost 10 years ago and uh, 2011. And all of a sudden there's like this pop, like I'm everywhere, you know, you, yeah. I'm all over social media, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm everywhere. And, and and I think people are kind of like scratching their head and wondering like, well, you know, what, what's so special about him or what did he do? And it's, it's, it's not something that randomly just happened. Like this is, this is a result of work that's been, you know, consistent and disciplined and, and layers and layers and layers. But I think there's an element of confidence that I had to acquire in this process as well, where when I first started talking about um, ways to help improve the people around me and their financial circumstances, it was just like, oh, you know, I heard this tip. Why don't we try this? Or, you know, here's a piece of advice. It was always just me throwing things out there. But I was in my mind, um, or rather internally, second guessing myself in that, um, who's going to view me as credible? I can't charge people for this advice. Or, you know, I can't go out there and say this with conviction and, and somebody listen to me. Um, you know, fast forward, you know, I have people in my DM all the time, like, well, what are your thoughts on this? And I'm like, listen, I don't want to give you advice and tell you you need to do this and take on the liability associated with um, guiding you down this path, but also accepting the responsibility that um, my message is being amplified now. Mm-hmm. And people are coming to me and they're letting me know that what it is that I say is making a difference in their life or making a difference in the trajectory about um, you know what they believe they're, they're capable of. And that's huge for me. Um, that drives me, that, that um, replenishes me and gives me the energy to, to keep moving forward. And now that I've put, you know, my thoughts in writing, um, there's a sense of credibility associated with that, right? You, you published a book, you published two books, you did a TED talk. And, and so people are like, okay, like, you know, he's not like a nobody. But at the same time, I'm looking at it from the perspective of, well, I'm not any different than I was before I published book one or book two or did the TED talk. I'm the same person. I'm talking about the same things. It's just, you know, people place uh, such value on this social proof in that if somebody else is talking about you, then you must be important instead of just kind of understanding the value that you bring to the table. And so once I got to a point where I was just like, you know what, like, I'm just going to keep pushing stuff out there. Um, I understand the game. I understand marketing. I understand that, uh, that whole concept of social proof. And so um, I've definitely, uh, you know, triggered and, 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 and poked and prodded at, you know, different things. I've, I've spent a lot of money on marketing and I've spent a lot of money and uh, uh, time investment 
and reaching out to different people and kind of sharing and amplifying my message so that other people will talk about me. But um, I really like that you brought up Grant Cardone earlier because I just finished his book, uh, The 10X Rule, uh, I think two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And um, and I was just like, wow, like this guy is like a normal guy. He's a normal guy, but we only realize um, the level of success that he's attained after he's attained it. We don't see everything that it took for him to get to that point. Yeah. And so when he talks about his journey um, through through his writing and, and what it is that he's done and, you know, how he had to just dream bigger and how he had to reach out and, and be everywhere. Um, his model is something that I'm following, something that I've internalized. But, you know, just kind of taking the um, I don't know, uh, what do we call it? The, the fame or the, you know, this emphasis, right, the celebrity them away from people and, and understanding that they're people like. They started exactly where you started and, and you can do exactly the same thing that they've done. Um, but because we're caught up in, in what they've accomplished, we don't feel we feel so far removed from from being connected to them. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, for me, it's very important to to refer back to my beginning and, and to stay human and to stay humble in my interactions with people, because I don't want to become so far removed from, you know, the people that I want to impact. And that they feel like, well, you know, he was a special case and he got lucky and I can't be him or I can't be like him because, you know, he's in his ivory tower somewhere and I'm down here, you know, in the mud. And I'm like, no, like I was in the mud too. Like, I, you know, I, I, I had to learn, first of all, to get rid of this victim mentality, yeah. right? And saying that, you know, sure, there's structures, there's people, there's there's processes, there's obstacles that will present themselves and 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 test you, test your resolve, test your desire to be successful. And you just have to be consistent. You have to be persistent and, and, and continue moving forward. Um, I don't, I, I'm very well aware of, you know, things I talk about it too in my book, very well aware of things like racism, very well aware of things like, you know, institutional racism and, and, you know, the lack of access to education or lack of access to, um, you know, certain things that other people, you know, non-black people, get access to without thinking twice, right? I walk into a, um, a car dealership looking to buy a car and they're all right profiling me the moment I walk in. And it's not until they go and they start talking to me and they start pulling credit and they start having conversations and, and, and realizing that I'm, you know, intelligent that they start taking me seriously. I just, um, I just leased a, a, a 2020 Ultima, walked in there without the intentions of buying a car, walked in there just to shop around because my previous lease was about to be up. And these people are not taking me seriously, not taking me seriously at all. I walk out of the dealership that same day, like I said, without intending on buying a car, with a brand new car, with having only put down my first month payment. That's it. No, no $2,000, no $1,000. I went in there. I said, this is what I'm willing to pay. And, uh, and I'm not going above that. And, and they were, you know, they were working with me. And then on the back end, I go to the, the finance manager and he's trying to slip in the fees on the back end. So now He's given me the contract and he's given me the contract five different times. And the four previous times, there's an error there that if I didn't read the contract in its entirety, I would have signed and, and accepting that, you know, there's this fee or there's that fee or, you know, they're sneaking this in there. They're sneaking that in there. The term, the date that my payment was, I mean, it was crazy. All a bunch of petty stuff. And the guy takes a second. He looks at me. He goes, where'd you go to school? And I'm sitting there like, what difference does that make? <laughs> but I'm also understanding, too, that they're not used to somebody coming in there looking like me, as young as I am, with a credit score as high as my credit score was, and reading this document in its entirety each time he presented it to me. And so he's like, what, you know, what are you, like, a lawyer? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, he, 
he it, it's baffling him that I'm that I'm covering my bases. I said, listen, I work in financial services. Like I'm familiar with all of this too. Like I know what my credit score affords me. That's why I walked in here like this. Exactly. And so um, there's a sense of empowerment associated too with what it is that I've been able to um, create for myself and around myself and not making excuses or playing victim to, um, you know, what's obvious. Like, right, you can't change institutional racism. It is embedded in this country. Um, but you you identify that that's an obstacle and you figure out a way around it. Yeah. And you're not going to always be successful in that. And you have to accept that, that that's the reality too, right? There's there, There's going to be structures that are intentionally designed for your failure but you know you make a way and 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 i think like i said it all comes back to mindset so and when we get into kind of playing with the money piece of it um it's uh it, it it's there but it's not it's not the most important thing i think people get caught up in that um you know they're worried about the money they're worried about making money they're worried about showing off the money that they made they're worried about flowing and it's uh, it's not about that <laughs> no, that's factual i want to quickly touch on you know the fact that you're not an overnight success. And I think a lot of people, you know, they see you in Black Enterprise. They see your book everywhere. They see you ramping up your marketing efforts and you just being kind of everywhere. And they be like, oh, who is this? I'm not familiar, like blah, blah, blah. Did he just jump on the scene? And me personally, obviously I know because I think we had a conversation and maybe like, August or September. Yeah, I know it was, it was a, a little while ago. Yeah. I was still doing my renovations. Uh, so yeah, it definitely had to be a little while ago. So I'm like, man, you know, I'm like a chili on the salad. I'm like, it's lit. I'm super happy for you, seeing you everywhere. Um, but no, it's super important to touch on that. The fact that you're not an overnight success, like this is 10 years in the making. And it all started with that teller job. Um, so for anyone out there, like a lot of people, we live in this microwave society nowadays where we expect everything to come so Quick. quickly. And it's like relax like relax just chill out put in that grind like like you said earlier put one foot in front of the other day in and day out and just imagine how far you can travel um you really just gotta keep going it might take five years it might take 10 years and what's another thing that's super important since we live in the age of you know information and social media you can't you know look at the next man and compare yourself because that's right. one way to take the biggest hit at your self-esteem yep um you got to realize that you know your journey is your journey somebody else's journey can can be becoming a millionaire in a year your journey might be five to ten years so you can't have that comparison syndrome where you know you're comparing yourself to them you're comparing yourself to the, the joneses and trying to you know be something that you're not you just got to really just stay in your lane and realize that your biggest competition is really yourself and your own procrastination mm -hmm. uh, at the end of the day so yeah it's just, i just wanted to quickly hit on that like you're not an overnight success um pretty much nobody is like Right. The overnight success don't exist. Yeah, the the easier really the success is. comes to you, the easier the success gonna leave. Absolutely. Lottery winners and you know and the like. Uh, but since you touched on credit a little bit, I kinda wanted to touch on that. Because I did see, you know, I see I saw you on the Black Wealth Renaissance page the other day and you said that your first approved credit card had a five hundred dollar limit. And that same card today has a fifty thousand dollar limit and your credit score now is over eight hundred. So can you touch on basically how you were able to build up your credit score uh, and share that with our audience? Yeah. So uh, when I started in banking, I, uh, like I said, I didn't know anything about credit. Most people, um, as soon as you turn 18, they're throwing credit cards at you left and right. At least that's what I was told. Mm -hmm. um, fortunately, unfortunately, every time I applied for a credit card, when I was 18, I was denied. So um, when I, when I started at the bank, 
um, we got all of the bank products for free because we were employees. So, you know, they're trying to get me to open an account and, you know, the whole nine, of course, a credit card was an option because they get sales credit for selling it. Yep. And I'm like, I mean, yeah, you could apply. I'm not going to get approved. I never get approved. Um, but I did. And uh, I was like, all right, cool. Like I have a credit card now. You know, I felt like, oh, I'm an, I'm an adult now. I got a real job. I got a new credit card. Um, but that's when I became credit conscious because what happens is when you apply for a credit card, whether you're approved or denied, they give you the letter letting you know what's going on. And then they give you what your credit score is. I'm like, okay, what's this? And I don't remember what my score was at the time, some, somewhere in the 600s. But um, then I became aware of the credit report. And at the time I had student loans that I owed on, but I didn't take seriously because I didn't know any better. So I wasn't paying on them. And uh, realized that I had student loans that were delinquent 120 days. Mm. So, um, you know, that's three negative remarks on my credit report for two different loans with a total of six negative remarks. So um, I was like, all right, I need to fix this. So I start um, paying the loans back. So I bring those current and um, and I'm seeing that, you know, the people that I'm surrounded by, they have much higher credit limits than I do. So working on working in the banks, you kind of, you know, learn, you know, the behind the scenes tips and tricks and uh, you build relationships. So I started with the credit card that I had with the bank that I worked for. And um, we had access directly to the uh, credit analyst. So we could call them and say, hey, look, I'm an employee. And I kid you not, this is this is exactly what happened. Hey, look, I'm an employee. I'm about to take a trip down to Florida. I need access to a higher credit line. Can you do something about it for me? And uh, so my first credit line increase was actually um, from the 500 to 1500 because, you know, they're just like, oh, sure. How much do you need? They figured it was secure, right? I'm an employee. I, I get a regular paycheck from this job. I'll be able to pay it back. Mm-hmm. And then I, when I realized how easy that was, um, and I started to kind of immerse myself in, in, you know, credit, understanding, you know, utilization, understanding the hard pulls, understanding um, the credit mix, I started to continue focus on that card by um, increasing it every six months. I increased my limit. I tried to double what it is that I had every six months. Um, but then also I would start applying for other credit cards outside of that one. So this was my primary credit card because my first credit card was at 21. My credit history, my overall credit history was still very short. And so that weighed against me. And because the delinquencies was still relatively new, that always weighed against me. So I had to be very aggressive in terms of maneuvering, um, you know, what I was doing with credit. So I, I think a lot of people don't realize that they can request credit line increases. Mm-hmm. I don't offer it to them. And so that was key. Um, understanding too that um, the weight of having a bank credit card versus like a retail store credit card um, is going to be a little bit different. Like it's going to be taken a little bit more seriously having a bank credit card versus like a credit card from Macy's. We can only use at Macy's. And then also understanding the interest rate difference too. So as an employee, I think I was paying like 9.99% on my credit card. Whereas, you know, you get a Macy's credit card, especially with my credit score at the time. And, uh, I'm paying, you know, close to 30% on an interest. So, uh, I just, I, I rinse and repeated that process over and over again. Um, I actually, you know, we talked about rich dad, poor dad a little bit. Um, I, I participated in one of their seminars. I actually, I participated in two of their seminars and in their second seminar where they were offering their advanced training, um, they were really gung-ho about getting people access to um, pay for the training. And so they, they essentially in the class taught us how to increase our credit limit so that we can pay for the class. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so then you kind of learn how to game the system yeah. and, uh, you know, what factors go into improving your, um, your odds of getting approved for a higher credit limit. 
So I walked away from that experience, um, learning about how to manipulate credit in that way. And uh, I just, I kept repeating the process over and over again. Um, I have today probably close to 10 credit cards um, and, and they all have pretty decent limits, but that card is my oldest card. And so that's why I kind of emphasized and highlighted that one because it started, like you said, you know, down as low as 500 and now it's, it's up at 50. And, um, and, you know, it's just, it was kind of scary once I hit 10, I think for the first time, cause I was like, damn, like I have $10,000 access to $10,000. What am I going to do with this? Right. And then became more and more scary as I got access to more and more. But then I realized like, it's not, it's not scary unless you're doing dumb stuff, right? Mm-hmm. You could pay it back if you don't take it all out. And so then I realized, well, what's the benefit of having a high credit line, right? I can fund anything. You know, if I want to start a business, if I want to put a down payment on a house, you know, anything. And so to me, it was important to have access to large credit lines in the event that I needed um, backup capital in the event that I needed to build myself out. Because at that point in time, and even still to this day, um, you know, I'm it. Nobody else in my family could lend me the money, you know, Let's say my furnace goes out and, you know, I need money tomorrow or I need to replace my roof tomorrow. Um, I can't go and say, hey, I need to borrow $10,000 real quick. I need to borrow 20. Um, And so really, uh, for me, investing in establishing larger credit lines was important because that was my security against, you know, an emergency happening. Um, And now it's just kind of like, you know, I maintain my credit lines and, and, and manage them appropriately. I don't spend frivolously or at least I try to limit the, the frivolous spending on credit, but just understand how the game works. And, you know, the more you play in that pool, I guess, the more you kind of understand it. Oh, that's factual. Uh, I think a lot of people don't realize that you should <coughs> have access to a lot of capital. And Period. that doesn't have to be just cash. Um, yeah. I talk to a lot of my credit clients about that. Um, so I tell them like, yeah, we need to increase your credit line. We need to, you know, increase the access you have to credit. So, you know, when we're talking about increasing your income and things of that nature, you don't have to necessarily go to a bank and ask for a loan. You don't have to, you know, struggle um, getting your business off the ground due to lack of capital. When you time and time again um, just exhibit those positive credit habits, you know, and applying for those credit line increases every six months, uh, making sure you're using, you know, anywhere from zero to 10%, max 30% of your credit utilization, um, you know, things of that nature. Like once you figure out the system um, and then kind of just doing that backward to really just understand the game, man, you can take you so much further. Um, like that's why really I can't wait right now. So I, to after I refinance my house, because then I'm really about to start, you know, building my access to, you know, lines of credit. Like I have a ton of different resources ready to go, but I just have this one block standing in the way. Like, of course, you know, when you're buying a house or you're refinancing, yeah. they don't want to see any prior activity. <laughs> so I gotta, I gotta wait it out. Um, but no, it's just super impactful. Like when you have access to those lines of credit, um, it is like an extra emergency fund on top of your cash reserves. Because at the end of the day, you don't want to spend all your cash. Like right. uh, on my, my, um, <clears throat> when I did my renovations on my duplex, I did go over budget by like 10K. And I just threw it on my credit card because I'm like, I'm not draining my cash reserves. It's not going to happen. Like right. something else could happen where I have a bit a crazy bill or I just get it you know, underwater or something of the like, and I would need that cash to cover it. But since I had, you know, lines of credit and credit cards ready to go, 
I just kind of use those and now I'm paying those back. But it's it's way easier than going into debt via personal loan or something like that versus just having that credit ready to go. So, so if you're listening out there, start building credit now. Like if you don't, you have bad credit now, get your secured card or, you know, invest in credit repair or do both. Because you can you can do credit repair all day long, but if you're not yep. establishing positive lines of credit, your credit is not going to increase. So you, you have to restore your credit and positively build it as well. So it's kind of a two part process. Um, I think it's important too, just to underscore when it comes to um, managing large lines of credit like that. Um, you know that people need to be disciplined and, and nice. definitely very intentional with you know how they leverage credit. Um, you can't just, you know, uh, let it happen. And I think a lot of people, when it comes to their own personal finances, they just kind of let it happen. Um, and, you know, they don't know where things go and, you know, why they're spending so much money or, you know, what they're spending so much money on. And um, I think a part of my process, I know a part of my process when it comes to managing credit has been being very deliberate down to um, timing the inquiries, right? Because I understand that these inquiries are only going to stay on my report for two years. So, um, you know, if I'm going to pull credit, I'm going to pull credit all at the same time. If I'm increasing one credit card limit, I'm increasing all my credit card limits or at least, you know, more than one. And then, so I know, okay, these two inquiries are sitting in my report. They're weighing negatively against me. But when those two inquiries fall off, they're falling off together. And so it's going to be, it's going to go from, you know, two or three inquiries down to zero when those two, fall, those two or three fall off. So just, you know, being intentional with your finances is important, but specifically with credit, because, you know, that's my, that's not yours. That's my answer. You got to pay back. Exactly. And, and that's how a lot of people uh, become poor, right? You know, poverty mindset, they spend more money than they have. And what that means is they start spending, you know, money they got access to through lines of credit. And I think uh, what's very important is just establishing good money habits, yeah. right? Just establish good money habits. Um, I have a, personally, I have a $40,000 line of credit that I haven't even touched, you know, and I'm saying that to say, just because you have access to a line of credit, you make sure that you have a well-defined plan on how you're going to leverage it, you know, and you, you want to take calculated risks, right? You're not just, you know, pulling out your line of credit and just giving anybody 10000 for a fix and flip or, you know, 5000 for a wholesale deal or whatever, whatever the opportunity is, make sure you do your due diligence because, you know, you, it's, it's, all a, it's all measuring your risk factor, yes. you know, and, you know, how much risk are you willing to take on? How much risk are you willing to associate yourself with? You know, when we're young, we could take on, you know, a lot of risks, right? Especially if you're in a position where you don't have anybody else that you have to take care of. You know, as we mature in this thing called life, you know, the less risk that we can take because now, you know, I mean, life happens and typically we have more miles to feed and we have other people that are depending on our income as well. So um, definitely try to understand what your um, risk value factor is and, you know, work with somebody that can help you determine you know, am I a aggressive investor or am I conservative or am I right in the middle? Am I moderate? You know, and um, some people I recommend to, you know, seek help of, of a licensed professional. Maybe maybe they can help point you in the right direction on, you know, what you're trying to do. So I think, you know, it's just establishing good money habits mm-hmm. um, is, is, is very important. And then you got, you know, B-Rob has a, a fabulous budgeting system. You know, that, you know, he has made available to all of us to be able to tap into. So if you're looking to really get your 
finances in order, then you should be contacting Brian or at least reaching out to the Double Up podcast and saying, hey, I need to get my finances in order. And I can almost guarantee within 24 hours, somebody will be reaching back out to you and, and setting up a time in, in order to make that happen. Yeah, 100%. Uh, and on top of that, we also got free resources as well. Like, Link in my bio, I have a free budgeting spreadsheet. Like you put in all your monthly income and expenses as well. And it has a chart that will populate, you know, the percentages of the percentage each expense plays in your budget. Uh, so you can see like where are the high cost areas in your budget? Is it housing? Is it food? Is it transportation? What is it? So you can see where exactly your money is going because uh, that's super important because a lot of people, they don't have a plan for their money. Uh, they look at budgeting as something that's restricting or restraining when all a budget is, is a roadmap. Period. It's a plan for you to see where your money is going. And if you don't have a plan for your money, the same way if you don't have a plan for your life, Oof. the universe or, you know, other factors out there, <laughs> they're going to shape that the plan for your money they're going to (laughs) look they're going to shape it via advertising like man the companies are so good at advertising nowadays like they can manipulate your emotions if you don't already have a plan for your money it's like damn i see that jacket i gotta gotta have it i gotta have it you swiping you swiping before you know it you're in debt your money is out the window and you're living check to check um and I, i see a lot of people like that i see a lot of my clients starting out off like that they like Man, I just, I know I overspend. I don't know where, but I just, I just, I don't have a plan for my money. Um, so you got to figure, you guys just got to figure that out. Uh, so definitely get on the budget. Make sure you're developing positive money habits. Um, and yeah, just really just get started. Know why you're doing it. Like really money provides so much freedom in the sense that you don't have to deal with a lot of struggles of the world. Like a lot of people's stress comes from money issues. And those same individuals that have a lot of money issues, they typically don't have plans for their money. Even if you, you know, you're ma- you're not making a ton of money, you still should be on the budget. Period. You still should know exactly where your money is going. You still should be learning these financial literacy tools and concepts to be able to grow and to be able to, you know, teach the next talking generation. That talk. He talking that talk, baby. So, you, yeah. you said something. You said something that got got me ticking, man. You, you said something that got me ticking, and and that's this, right? So, B. Rob said the infamous CPA said your budget is your roadmap. That's your GPS, right? And if you don't got no roadmap or no GPS, the universe is gonna take you on their own route, right? And what I realize is that, and there are many variables that play in the universe, right? One of the variables that play in the universe is people, people, right? And so we think about, you know, we got a budget, you know, we don't wanna buy, you know, clothes or uh, whatever have you, you know, entertainment, whatever, but people are also liabilities and we have to realize like hey you know if you if you're in a relationship you might have to tell you know your significant other like hey we need to we need to chill out for a little bit you know we got to take a seat back and get our finances in order baby this is the plan this is the two-year three-year four-year plan and what i've come to realize is that you know oftentimes when we having those tough conversations that's when you start to see who that other person really is, especially when you have a goal that you're trying to acquire or accomplish in your life. And if you can't see 
where I'm trying to take us as it relates to what we're doing because essentially that significant other is just a business partner. If they can't see you for who you trying to be, then that person may be, or that may be an indicator that that person is a liability. And I am in the process of continuously practicing removing all liabilities. And I would encourage everybody to do the same thing. You gotta have those tough conversations up front. Look, hey, yeah. ain't in relationships, man. You gotta have those <laughs> tough conversations up front. Like, man, you will, you will really get a gist of who an individual is. Because you gotta think about it. Like, we so plugged in in technology that we don't sit, a lot of people don't sit down to really figure themselves out. Mm -hmm. So when you asking individuals these tough questions, a lot of people can't answer them. And that's really says a lot. Um, and even if, you know, it doesn't work out, maybe you leave a blueprint and they start to ask themselves these tough questions and start to grow personally and professionally as well. Uh, so now if you dating out there, you heard it first from Mr. <laughs> Parson. Look, hey. Ask them tough questions, man. Don't be afraid. I don't care if it's the first date. Hey, look, you need to know your time is important. Period. We got a limited time. We got a limited amount of time on this earth. So why waste why waste that time, you know, just going by the wayside when you can get get them out the way. Look. Early. <laughs> Let them know. Like, hey, look. I'm stacking right now, baby. Like, yo, we can kick it. But we got to do five out of Tuesdays, right? Look, we can go to the movies hey, five look, out of Tuesdays. Bad Boys 3. Right. Hey, Tuesday. Look, you got to be very smart with what you, how, how you spending your time and spending your money out here. Uh, but let's go ahead and get back. You know, let's get back into, you know, my guy Rakim, man. So we got yeah, a couple yeah. other questions yeah, so, we want to uh, fire off to you. The last thing we want to touch on is the books. Let's get into the books. So I know it's a lot of people out there, they may be sitting on the idea or they're in the process of writing their own books. So can you share like the process of writing and publishing the book? Yeah, so I self-published both books. It's very easy. I think, you know, you kind of hinted on the um the age of information, right? Amazon makes it very easy for you to literally upload a Word document. You know, they have a um, cover creation wizard inside of the, the platform. Their platform is called um, KDP, uh, Amazon Kindle Direct Publishing. And um, it's print on demand, so you don't have to maintain an inventory. And basically, as people buy your book, Amazon prints it and ships it out. So it was very easy um, to distribute the material. Now, um, there's varying degrees in, in, in terms of uh, presentation, right? And what, what is considered professional. So my first book, I, uh, I took to task doing everything myself, literally. I, I did the proofreading. I did, you know, the editing. I did the formatting. And so, um, you know, the, the quality in terms of the content was there. But in terms of the visual appeal, I think the cover is decent. But a formatting could have used some work. And you don't know what you don't know, right? So I didn't know how it was going to come out. I just knew I wanted to share my, um, share my thoughts. Second time around, I actually paid um, outsourced really everything. The, uh, the illustration for the cover graphic design. Um, I paid for editing. I paid for formatting. Um, and then, you know, once I had gotten everything kind of collectively together, I put it out there. So I knew uh, when I was going to release the book and, and started, you know, my efforts around marketing really early, as opposed to dropping a book and be like, hey, guys, I have a book out there. Check it out. Yeah. Um, and so I've seen, uh, you know, really a 180 in terms of the volume of units moved with the second book than um, the first one. I think more people can connect to the topic of the second book as well, since you know, talking about finances, everybody can kind of relate to finances. And then, of course, at the same time, building up my own brand as an individual who 
Um, I think some would consider a thought leader or subject matter expert on personal finance. So that that helped. I mean, I released my book very strategically the day before I delivered a TED Talk on uh, financial empowerment. So, um, you know, there was still that buzz of, oh, he released his book and then, oh, he delivered a TED Talk. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I can't quantify at this point what the impact of one on the other was, but I would imagine it's substantial. Um, but yeah, the process in terms of the creative side of it, um, you know, I, I hear a lot of people say that they've either started writing a book or they want to start writing a book and they just, they don't have the motivation to finish it or they don't know the direction to go. And so um, the biggest lesson that I've learned in, in, in between writing both books is to have a general idea of what your desired end result is before you start writing a book. So I reverse engineered my process the second time around. I knew who my target audience was. I knew um, what I wanted to cover. I knew what impact I wanted to have on people. I knew what doors I wanted to open for me. And um, and I didn't know all of this organically or, or, or uh, you know by myself without help. I actually I hired a, a consultant, a business coach, to kind of help me formulate my ideas and, um, and, and and even smooth out the process around, you know, what was considered the rough edges. The stories and everything that's in the book is mine, but um, even down to, you know, how we strategically titled the book, that that took, you know, some weeks. I would, you know, even say as, as much as months to come up with a title. Um, and that was a direct reflection of what I wanted uh, the end result to be was. And the desired end result for me was I want to expand my platform. I want people talking about this. I want to end up on somebody's TV show or in somebody's magazine. So when I said, um, you know, financially irresponsible, I was speaking to uh, my own habits that people would view as financially irresponsible and how um, that's kind of, it's, what is it? Um, Looking at somebody who has nine credit cards versus, you know, somebody who has a traditional, you know, two and a half. You know, most most Americans, I think, have, um, you know, anywhere between one and three credit cards. And, And I have, you know, three times as much or talking about going to, you know, the closing table and paying for my closing on a credit card, you know, with a 0% balance transfer, or how I, you know, most people talk about traditionally, you need to have, or you should have uh, six to nine months of a nest egg saved up. And I, and I talk about how I don't have any cash reserves. So it's a lot of controversial um, subject matter in there that people can look at and say, well, you know, you're, you're talking about finances as this educated subject matter expertise guru type guy, but you're doing the exact opposite of what is status quo. But that was intentional, right? Because I want people to look at what is considered status quo and determine, is that the best practice for you, right? I don't have cash reserves. I live paycheck to paycheck. I talk about this in the book, right? I live paycheck to paycheck, but I live paycheck to paycheck intentionally. I don't leave room for there to be extra money because I pay myself first and I'm investing, you know, that money. So I'm not saving it. So I have no cash reserves. That doesn't mean I don't have any money. Just my money is tied up working for me. And I think a lot of people, that escapes a lot of people. So um, really the intent of the book is to make people think, uh, reassess what their, um, what their viewpoints on finance and personal finances and how, um, you know, how they can kind of change or challenge what they've accepted blindly and being intentional, like I said, about how they manage their money. And um, I think I, I did a pretty good job with that. So, um, you know, I'm not telling anybody who wants to write a book to go out and write about finance, but I'm using those examples um, to kind of just paint that picture and saying, like, you need to know where you want to end up before you start writing mm-hmm. and then just reverse engineer that process. And then also it, it, um, it really helped in terms of the creation of the content to go out and test the market. Right. Um, we started talking, I think, before I started writing the book. 
I was in the process of kind of like brainstorming. And so I'm sure you've seen on Twitter, like I'll throw things out there and see how people react to it. I'm talking about, you know, growing up on Section 8 and buying a house. People love that. People were retweeting the hell out of it. So I was like, okay, I need to keep that in the book. Yeah. I'm talking about investing, not investing in a 401k. People are like, what? Like, that's controversial. Don't invest in a 401k. Everybody's supposed to invest in their 401k. I was like, all right, I need to talk about that. Mm-hmm. Or the credit story that we talked about. So I'm testing the market and seeing what people are reacting. What's good, family? It's the infamous CPA. And as you know, I love passive income and wholeheartedly believe that everyone should have several passive income streams. So I created a super detailed course that'll give you the exact blueprint on how I was able to create a passive income stream with rental car investing that now brings in over $150,000 per year. Increasing your income is vital to your journey to generational wealth and passive income is the holy grail. So visit gum.co backslash car rental money to get started and use the promo code double up for 15% off. Let's get this passive income. Into what people were curious about, what they want to learn more about. And then I'm taking that and I'm like, okay, I need to spend more time on this in the book. Spend more time on that. Spend less time on this, you know, see what people like. I tested everything from the title to the cover images to the colors that I use in the cover. Um, you know, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram was all really good for that. Mm-hmm. And so leveraging social media in a very strategic way instead of, you know, recreational. I think, you know, we're all in the business of kind of understanding that, you know, social media is a tool. Um, and so I think just, just being very intentional, like I said, I, I think, you know, as, as more people kind of, as I talk, more people will understand too that there wasn't an accident with everything with that book. It was every aspect of that book was, was planned down to the T. Um, and uh, interviewing, I think, was a part of it too. So uh, the consultant that I use, he asked me questions to kind of guide me through what my thought process was. We recorded it. So I think a lot of people get caught up in writer's block because they're like trying to write. And a lot of people don't uh, necessarily write the way they talk. I, I fortunately do write the way that I talk or talk the way that I write rather. Um, but there was questions that was asked of me that forced me to elaborate in a way that um, gave more detail naturally than if I was to sit there and try to write it out. And so I think, you know, in terms of getting your ideas out there, a good best practice would be just, you know, have bulleted um, points in terms of the direction that you want to go and then record yourself talking through all of that so that there is a flow. It sounds very conversational. The people that are receiving it feel like you're talking to them and then you can kind of write around that. Right. You can transcribe that and then shit, yep. the book is written through your own words. You can write a book in probably 30 minutes if you have yeah. it already laid out and ready to yeah. go. Just talk through yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh yeah, no, I think that's super dope. So there you have it. You know, if you're looking to write a book or write an ebook, check out check out bro's book. Um we're gonna make sure to put a link in the show notes as well. Um but yeah, no, thank you for sharing for sure. So we're about to wrap it up. No, I was super excited. Thank you for thank you again for coming on the show. Appreciate your story with us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is a super dope show. I think our listeners gonna you know, take a lot of things out of it, a lot of dope gems, a lot of value. So, no, thank you for coming on the show, bro. I appreciate so, y'all's time. Can you let the audience know where can they find you? Yeah, I have a website. Um, it's my name, rockhemsabri.com. Uh, my Instagram, my Twitter is my name as well, rockhemsabri. So it's spelled R-A-H-K-I-M-S-A-B-R-E-E. Um, so that's Instagram and Twitter, rockhemsabri. And then my website is just my name. Cool. 
There it is. There it is. So (laughs) we just wrapped up another episode of the Double Up Podcast. We're going hard. We're going hard. It's episode 14. We got 200 more episodes to go, baby. How many episodes till we crack this first million, right? So, all right, that's what it is. It's Gene, aka the real estate guy. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at underscore underscore Mr. Marshall. All right. It's B Rob, aka the infamous CPA. We out. <laughs>